Hi, I'm Charisma O'Keefe. And I'm Angelica Yard. And we're the heart behind the Heart and Hustle podcast. Every Wednesday, we share a new episode with our listeners on topics that range from business and creativity to leadership and innovation. We also interview some of the best and brightest in the industry and spread our love of entrepreneurship all over the internet with our hashtag, BossSoHard. We're on a mission to help you find balance in your life, creativity in your career, and dollars in your bank account. So sit back, relax, and take notes while we show you how to dream big, work hard, and repeat. Welcome back to the Heart and Hustle podcast, and happy birthday to my co-host. I'm old. Just yes. kidding. You're not really old. No one. And I was ever gonna say old. you're in the 27 club, but I was like, I don't want to say that. I do. I've been that saying sounds all scary. Day, and I actually <laughs> am embracing it. I yes, but the you. actual 27 club. I know they're all is, dead. But yeah, yeah. Is that so bad? Is that terrible? It is, it's real terrible. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it bad? Probably not. So you've already been like doing all the things today and it's work day <laughs> yeah yeah gotta pay my bills yeah I'm doing yoga and all the good things all my workouts my body hurts but it was worth it that's impressive that you're doing that on your birthday on my birthday i just like i don't even know i i'm never home actually anymore on my birthday yeah, i was gonna say you're never here. yeah so i guess i do do things but it's more like going out exploring places drinking coffee and eating food you know <laughs> the things that you love which is yeah that's been my life lately so i i can't complain yeah you're back from the other side of the pond yes so i feel like i have seen the mountaintop because like we went to england and scotland and i for the like over two weeks that we were there didn't deal with any racism and I'm just like, what is this life with, like, no microaggressions? Like, the little things that happen all the time that you don't even, like, think about because you're just kind of, like, used to it. You're like, that. None life. of that. None of that happens. Um, and Scotland, I feel like, at least in my experience, was, like, the least racist place that I've ever been to. And I just thought that it would be, like, very, like, lots of white people and, like, not a ton of diversity. And I'm sure, like, if you go outside of the city center, because we were in Edinburgh, which is the city center. Yeah. I'm sure outside of the city center, it probably is more like that. But the city center was, like, incredibly diverse. And it's funny because, like, the guy who we rented our Airbnb from, he told me this story about he was, like, outraged because somebody, um, like... Basically, his wife is Italian. She has, like, thick curly hair, right. darker skin. And they went to a bank and someone was like, you know, Are, can you understand me? And, like, did the whole, like, right. speak slow and loud thing. And he was, like, outraged and he, like, pulled all his money from that bank. And, like, he'd been with that bank for, like, 25 years. And he was like, I don't care. F this. Because, you know, like, Scottish people do, like, to yeah. drop the F-bomb. And I'm just, like... Yes, it is a microaggression. It is annoying if somebody does that to you. It's happened to me before. It's annoying. But I'm like, people have called me the N-word. Like, I wish I could be as mad about that as, like, he was. But, like, there I feel like people are mad about different types of, like, prejudices and racism than we are here. Um, Because here it's like we're getting murdered in the streets. Like, so (laughs) we're focused more on that than, like, small. Like, not that, like, small microaggressions should go unnoticed. But it's just, like. I don't feel like I report to someone or tell somebody about each and every one that happens because it's just so many that it's like, how would I even keep track? And it was just crazy, like, to experience life. I don't remember the last time that I have gone that long without having, like, my race or my hair or my skin or anything be, like, some sort of issue. Um, And then also the food quality 
was so good. Like, John and I just ate what we wanted to eat. We didn't, like, police ourselves. Whereas at home, we're like, we need to eat kale and we need to, like, do all the things. Um, but, like, because they they don't have, like, nonsense in their food, yeah. you still feel great, like, even if you eat whatever. You uh, which, I mean, we didn't about... eat, like, that horrible. Yeah. We're just not used to eating that horrible. But it's just, like, I just felt so much better <laughs> than I do, like, here. And it's funny because... Um, Bobby from Ready to Blog has told me before that when she comes back home to America for, you know, like a month or so, that she will start feeling like super sick because of the food here. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, there's probably no way that that's like true, but it's, it's definitely yeah. true. Like, I, I don't know what the heck it is they're putting in our food, but it is scary when you can, when, cause the, I think two weeks your body like starts to actually feel the difference and it's just like, wow. And it sucks because it's like, there's nothing I don't want to say there's nothing that we can do, yeah. but it's just like it's really hard to avoid food that doesn't have whatever all this nonsense is that yeah. we're putting in our Isn't food. It like the corn syrup. Yeah, I just think like, it's literally it. I think it's just like the high fructose corn syrup that's here because it's not regulated. Whereas overseas, I know a lot of places don't allow you to yeah. put that in the food at all. So and there's also something in like flour, I guess, that's like very different. I don't know, but it was amazing. I would definitely. If, we, if I was going there, like, a year ago, I would be like, I totally want to move there. But now they have Brexit going on, so who knows what's going on over there. No. Um, so it's not... Yeah, they need to figure themselves out as well. And, of course, everyone in Scotland is like, come move to Scotland, because we're going to leave the UK. So I'm like, listen, I don't know what you guys are doing. It does seem better than what's going on here, but it also seems unstable and all <laughs> that good stuff. So I'm like, no thanks for right now. Um, plus, it's going to be extremely hard to get in, and they're not going to be part of the EU. So like, travel and stuff over there will be different. Like but a lot of as far as visiting, it's like I can't wait to go back. We're already planning another trip back um, to do England and Ireland this time. Um, but it was amazing. Like, I just feel so inspired. And I, I feel like it was kind of like a sabbatical. Like, I did work a little bit, but I didn't work a ton. Yeah. You know? So it was just, like, so needed. And I, I can't remember the last time that I've taken that amount of time and not done that much work. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are those we, words? we did two weeks, like, in November. We were up north for two weeks. But, I mean, we were just up north. Like, we were... I mean, half the time we were, like, in Connecticut, so it's, like, I was just in a house, like, with, you know, it was, like, a family trip type of thing, so it's, like, I could just work during the day. Like, it wasn't, like, you know, I was that removed from my work, whereas with this, it's, like, there was a lot of, I felt like I was going crazy on the front end because I was trying to get so much done ahead of time, but I managed to get most of it done, and I really only saw it was gone, which I think is a record. That's a good time. Yeah. Good planning. Yeah. So, and it was like I couldn't avoid it. I, it had it was design work. If not, yeah. I would have just done it on a phone or a tablet. But I was like, I have to open my laptop for this. So yeah. So I mean, we we I was pretty removed from work. John was completely. Yeah, was to say he can't take his work. kids or his <laughs> classroom with him. Um. So he was in a great mood. I'm I feel sure like our stress like, levels were like amazing. Like it was just the best. His so. blood pressure was probably really low. Like normal. (laughs) And then, like, we got home and pretty much unpacked our stuff, repacked our stuff, drove to Miami, and then I gave a speech um, at Creative Cove, which is, like, the cutest place ever. It's basically, like... Yeah, like, the downstairs is basically... It's kind of, like... You could go there and bring any Pinterest idea that you have in mind, and then, like, they have a class to bring it to life. Kind of like painting with a twist, but for, like, any sort of project. And then the upstairs is, like, a massive, like, open space and then, like, an office and then a jewelry studio. Um, so it's, like, it's like a pretty good-sized place. Um, but, yeah, I went and spoke on branding. Um, and I, I wrote my speech when I was 
on the plane home and in the airport from England, uh, from London. So I was like nervous that I wasn't going to like memorize it well, but I think I, I organized it in a way that I was able to remember it and, and it went really well. And I think I got two clients out of it and I definitely met so many awesome like creatives and a lot of creatives of color, which was awesome. Um, so I'm like looking forward to like collaborations and stuff like that. Miami is just so lit. It's like, it's... I would never want to live there because the traffic situation, I'm not going to lie to you, like the traffic, I'm like, nope, it's bad enough here in Orlando, but gosh, like there's just so many awesome creatives there. Yeah, the Linwood the Art District is right now is super adorable if you haven't been to Miami. And there's like a conference that's happening right now, I think it's Hispanicize, I think it's what it's called, um, that's for Hispanic um, media influencers and bloggers and stuff, so I have a lot of friends that are in Miami right now. Yeah, it's... Which is exciting. I, like, and it's funny because like we go to Miami a lot, but I feel like I never go for like work, right? because it's like we have like family and friends there so I've always loved the energy there but it's been more of like a vacation spot for me but like going there for work it was like oh my gosh I love this energy and then of course Amber and I like missed each other like by a few hours which I was like ah Uh, because she was like oh my god I'm like heading to Miami right now Uh, but we ship's passing in the night so hopefully I'll see her in Philly soon I know very soon well today we're talking about communicating pricing to clients And I feel like it's super good. It's timing for this topic because I've seen a lot of people who are switching over and or maybe side hustling, trying to understand how they get their pricing life together or how they, you know, talk about it to their clients or what do they do. And so I feel like this is a really exciting. Yeah. And I feel like it's a question we get all the time and we have addressed it very quickly in the past when we got it as a listener question. But we kind of wanted to dive more into it because there's a lot to explore with it. And I think the first question that we always get is, should you list your pricing on your website? And I feel like the answer for that is it completely depends on what you do. Yeah. What you do and how you, you know, calculate your pricing. So I feel like if you have a flat rate for certain things you feel like very comfortable in that flat rate and that's what you're going to apply to every project that you do then by all means if that's what you want to do go for it but in terms of a lot of especially service-based businesses it's really difficult to um calculate how much something will cost because you don't know how much a project is going to exactly. cost until you, you have, have more idea. of a scope or more information so i feel like it would be extremely difficult to put our prices on we'd be like starting at question mark because it just it wouldn't make any sense but some people do so I think, like, if you have a, like, I want to say, like, normally if you have a product, you're pretty yeah, safe yeah, listing right. a price. But it also, that also depends, too, because I see, like, those people on Etsy who have, like, shoes or, like, backpacks and they right. paint them. And, like. Contact me for Yeah, pricing. it's, like, different, you know, like, if you just want, you know, like, a few flowers, whereas opposed to if you want, like the entire like like the Death Star or like the Hogwarts castle on there. So, you know what I mean? It's like right. that's a completely different um job. So it's like even saying like, oh, you know, this particular shoe and even like the size of the shoe, to be honest. It's right. like if somebody is asking for, you know, if they were like a size six in women or if they were like a size fifteen in men, like that's a like a different amount of paint and a different <coughs> amount of time that's gonna go into that project. So I mean if you're if your product is the exact same product all the time then obviously I think it's okay to be like this is the price and I I think it's beneficial to have the price because I don't like when I'm going on and I'm trying to like buy a product and I'm like um hi what is the price I can't find it um but if it's you know if it's like more of a custom product like that I I still think maybe like a range or just not even putting anything right uh, because it's contact how are you gonna yeah like you don't sell yourself short necessarily by charging the same that you would for you know one project 
to the next where right. it's going to be completely different. But yeah, with surface based, I think it's incredibly challenging. Um, one thing that I can say is like in the wedding industry, most of the time people will give some sort of range, right. which I do understand because it's normally based off of like hours. Um, how many, like, let's say if it's photography, like you might have like yourself and an assistant or two assistants. So it'll be based on, you know, hours that, and then like some people will even do like how many people, especially like planners, they might be like, okay, is this a wedding for 50 people? Is this a wedding for, you know, 250 people and that sort of thing. So I think with the wedding industry, you do see like prices, but I think that like a range is probably best because, you know, if you're a wedding planner and someone's like, I want 200 people, but it's like a beach wedding. Super simple, just show up, get married, and then it's, like, catered after and whatever. Or if somebody's, like, I'm getting married and there's a theme and we're doing it at this, like, beautiful ballroom and there's, like, lots of detail involved and I need you to set up, you know, 20 different things, then it's, like, that you're going to want to charge a little bit more for that. Um, But, yeah, definitely I think if you're doing anything in, in, in design, whether it be, like, logos or websites or anything, everything is so different. I don't know how people, even with, like, logos, and people are like, I charge 150 for a logo, and that's what I charge all the time. I have I'm like, no I don't get idea. It. But I guess maybe because it uses standardized, like, this is what you're getting. You're not really going above and beyond, which is, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I guess yeah. that works for you. Um, there's just so much research that goes into branding for us, so it just would not... Like and every brand has their own like it's exactly. not a one size fit all. Completely different. Um, you're telling different stories with each brand, so I, I don't really get how people do a one size fits all with that. I definitely suggest not doing that. And I know people are afraid of like, um, you know, what what happens with well when I do give them the price and that sticker shock. And I think that one way to kind of combat that is to use testimonials. Um, so and and you can do this if you list your prices or if you don't. But um, I think that having that testimonial site uh, or testimonial part of your site and then them being able to go see prices is great. Or like if you're handing over a proposal, you can even put in your email like a link to that section of testimonials. So just like to remind them of like why they're paying for what they're paying for. Uh, Because when they're hearing from other people or even seeing your work, like another link to your portfolio, it's like they're getting an idea of like what it is they're getting and why they're paying that money for it. Or if something's just, if it's too expensive for them, then... Oh well, like, yeah, like I don't know why that's so terrifying. I know a lot of people when they're starting out client. and they're yeah. terrified of like getting rejected because their pricing may be too much. But that's that's okay. that's an okay problem to have. Like it's totally fine. You yeah. will find the and person who can afford if you, you. Like if you handle it in a nice way, you know, then I think that who knows that person might come back to you when they have right. the money, or they might even refer you to someone else yeah. that can afford you. Yep. Um, so there's nothing wrong with just being like, these are the prices that I have, you know, sharing those prices and letting them make that decision if that's something that they can afford or not can afford. Um, so proposals are an incredibly important tool in communicating your pricing with your clients. Um, and I think that especially, obviously, if you're not listing your pricing on your website, you're going to have to do that in a proposal. Um, so I feel like I love the proposal that you guys have because it's like really detailed. Um, our proposals just, are very long. They're very long. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like it. It reminds me of like, like I don't know something that I would get from a lawyer. They're very, very detailed, and I love that because I think that it's just good to spell everything out in the beginning before you're yeah. even moving forward. You know, so you definitely want to have like obviously a budget of what things are going to cost, um, and you definitely want to have a timeline right. because this is. I feel like people ask. 
that's one of the first questions that I get. I actually got asked that like right after the speech. Somebody was like, if I wanted to do A, B, and C, how long would that take? People are very interested in that. And I think it's just good um, for your own sanity so that you're yeah. not answering questions every five minutes of like. Exactly. And people <laughs> a lot of times are shopping around. So having the information included may put you at an advantage because if it takes 30 to 45 days for a website and they get three or four proposals and you know, three of them say 30 to 45 days, but then they get one that's like 10 days. They're going to question that one 10 yeah. day person. Cause they're like, okay, well you're not really, you know, on range with everybody else. So it's okay to put that information in. I think that sometimes people are like, you know, a little bit like, I don't want to share that information. It's kind of proprietary. It's not proprietary. It's important that your clients know how long it's going to take for something to be done just so they have an idea of what to expect. And that way they're not, you know, you, the expectations are set from the beginning. You're not waiting like halfway through and they email you on day five and they're like, where's my website? And you're mm-hmm. like, um, it's not done yet. Duh. And you're like, well, I didn't know because you never set the expectations in the beginning. And it's also good to put a, a range there as well. I see like, like some people in service-based industries, I don't really feel like it's so much like with our industry, but other industries I'll, I'll see like, it's going to be two weeks. Exactly. And I'm like, is it though? Like, why can't you put two to three? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, whatever it is, like put like six to seven weeks or right. four to six or you know. We like, usually give talk about a little bit of a put range. days and we put a number range and we also put business days because I don't want people to think that they're getting work on the right? weekends because we're not yes, working on the weekends. So if you're if no. I say thirty to forty five business days, that means like Monday through Friday. That's yeah. not seven days. So I don't want people counting down from the beginning of their calendar and then like on the thirty first, <laughs> like oh it's been thirty days. No, it has not because I only work Monday through Friday. I do not work on the weekends on things. So. Your proposal is another place where you should be making clear um, if you have a, like, a non-refundable payment. Yeah. Um, Especially, like, you know, for that first deposit. Because a lot of times you will get people that will pay you that first deposit and then, oh, guess what? I can't do this. Like, right you know something that happens a lot with i we haven't really gotten that a lot but i've seen a lot like of my friends or whatever who are in the same industry where that happens all the time and that's so crazy to me but it's important that you have that non-refundable deposit i think if it's like a small deposit like i think for you know it's a little different for us because our deposits are larger but i think for like if if you're doing a small deposit somebody might walk away from like let's say like a family shoot or something like that and if they just put down like 150 bucks and you're only charging 300 total exactly then Then they're just like they might be able to walk away from that or whatever um but you you know for you if that's refund non-refundable you need to make sure that that's clear in your proposal like from day one this is non-refundable you're not getting this back you have to pay this in order to even start start and you are not getting before it before i even open my browser to look at your project exactly <laughs> you need and to I have paid this every browser. single person in any service-based industry at all should have a non-refundable deposit, deposit. or I a think contract you, in general <laughs> yeah i think even if you're like um a lot of these artists that will do like commissioned work and that sort of thing i think for that you should also have a oh absolutely deposit. yeah absolutely um, I because mean, you never know what what other people if your commissions do. for an illustration is 150 dollars and you need to have at least you know 50 to 75 dollars put down to start immediately yeah. so that way you're not you know you don't draw a whole portrait of somebody and they're and just like just time, kidding because yeah. you're this is custom and you can't really do anything a lot of times with custom work um it's also a good time to just outline when all payments are due so in that timeline you're letting people know this is due this day especially like if you break up a lot of the payments uh but even if they're just in two payments like you want to let people know when yeah. they're due um and then it's when it's there then you can set one reminder 
and at that point, if they're not answering, then for me, I don't feel bad about pestering people about my money. I used to a long, long, long time ago. Now, God I'm bless like, you. bitch better have my money. Like, I need my That's money. That's why Rihanna created the song I for us. I need to be paid. So you know. Don't act like you forgot. And I know they didn't forget because it's written there the first time. And I give them one reminder. So, you know, based off of that, I know they already have it in two spaces. So if they still are not, like, where they need to be, I will contact them every single day <laughs> like i will be like i need my i money. feel like my accounting software is really annoying so they email it automatically emails you when payments are late and it's, it'll go a certain day so if it's like a week like they'll do and then it'll start during like every, every day every single day and yeah. that is annoying like i don't know how people ignore that because we've had people ignore it maybe for like but a week is probably the max yeah, to get out of like, it they're like you go days. into your email every morning and like the first thing you see is mm-hmm. overdue invoice or overdue payment and then you're just like uh i'm just gonna pay this so this thing can shut up so yeah um and as soon as you send out your proposal uh just be prepared to have questions following up following it up if you're in person obviously that's great because you can go through each page together and that sort of thing but if you're not you know just set aside some time to answer any questions and make sure that they are clear on what the proposal is about because for a lot of them they they don't see this sort of stuff all the time like we see contracts and you know all this sort of stuff often your average person doesn't have to yeah. deal with that on a daily basis so they're going to need time to look through it understand it all that sort of good stuff so just make sure that you set aside some time to make sure that your client fully gets it all you don't really want them to just look through and sign it i know some people are like oh that's great because then i don't have to like it no you want them to understand it you want them to take the time to understand it so make sure that they've understood it make sure that you know you're on the same page with all of it before they're going ahead and, and signing and you're moving forward yeah and i think that's the difference between like us we don't most people we work with have do get a lot of contracts because they're larger businesses we don't work with a lot of um freelancers or you know one person shows so we really don't get we do a lot of the work on the discovery call because i don't have time yeah <laughs> to answer questions after i send you a contract either you want me or you're not like you sign it and then you pay me or you don't but if you're in the situation where you're working with you need to be just cautious and being co- comfortable with answering those questions if you don't know what your proposal means or your contract or whatever's in your, you know, proposal, then you need to scale it back or go talk to someone and explain all that legal terminology. Because like you said, the average person, like a photographer usually, or an illustrator, whoever you're working with, usually doesn't know what all of this legal jargon means. They did not go to law school. And if you went and downloaded that contract from the AIGA, which I know a lot of designers do, has a lot of legal terminology in it. And you need to be able to explain that. Mm-hmm. Even the freelancers union contract, because I think it's another one that a lot of people use, it has, again, a lot of legal terminology. And if you don't know what this stuff means, you just go back and research before you send that out to somebody so another big thing is like making sure that you agree with and love every single part of your proposal and right. or your contract because you know on the flip side you might have somebody that does fully understand it and is like i don't like this part so i'm not going to be cool with that part yeah. and you need to know why that part matters and why it needs to exactly stay in there. yeah i've seen a lot of people um in the photography industry who are shooting weddings who have had people say that people want to like x out their paragraph that's about the, like the copyright, copyright. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's very and very they, common. like the thing is is like a lot of like wedding photographers have put that in there and they don't fully understand why, why it's important. in there right. and they just put it in there because it's there and so they they don't defend that and explain it in the proper yeah. way and they'll end up being like all right cool you can exit out and sign it because i'm just trying to get these Designers coins the and i get way. about getting these coins but you need to have your copyright and you need to investigate why that's a whole nother 
episode but yeah you need that <laughs> we're having a lawyer on so I'm very <laughs> excited about it we just booked her last week while you were out Yay, and we've been trying to get a lawyer on this show for like ever because yeah. I think a lot of the questions that people ask her are law yeah questions we didn't go to law school we sure didn't like we're poor and we don't want to be poor in law right? so <laughs> like. also just like I took business law and that was the worst class that I took <laughs> by far and it's funny because um my grandfather was like brilliant and just good at everything and he looked at that book and he was like wow that's tough stuff and that's when i knew i was like well i'm gonna probably fail because if he thinks it's enjoy this d minus (laughs) i'm barely passing somehow i did okay in the class because i I think because i like to read yeah i was gonna say it's a lot of reading that i would like i i don't know i have i have quite a few lawyers in my family and I thought about that path and I was like nope just kidding I saw what they actually do and I saw them bring their work home and I was like that doesn't look fun to me at all so moving on um we want to talk about how to communicate a price increase because I know that a lot of people start out at a certain level and they're making a certain amount of money and then their skill grows and you know what they can offer grows maybe their team grows and they want to be able to charge more money which may only make sense yeah um, and but the problem is they're having that disconnect with their clientele where oh well before I was charging X amount now I'm charging XYZ right. and I'm not getting those clients to come back to me and I don't know what to do about that um, so I feel like the main thing is or the first thing I shouldn't say the main thing the first thing is that you want to let your if you if you're the type of um, business that has reoccurring clients you want to let your highest like the clients that pay you the most they need to know first they need to know with enough time so that before you start your next project, they're able to get their money in order right. and reorganize, you know, make sure that obviously you're still a good fit. And then if you are, which hopefully you are, reorganize so that they can still pay you um, because they might decide to take, you know, something from another part of their budget. And right. They, know, a lot of budgeting happens um, exactly. towards the end of the year for the new fiscal year. So it's just, if you're going to increase your rates in the middle of the year, um, just be aware that that your client may not have the budget or they may, or they, the budget may have opened up or just be aware constantly. So I, when we do pricing increases and we have in the past, we've always done it at the end of the year, just Mm -hmm. because it makes sense because a lot of our, again, our clients are like small to medium sized businesses and they're doing their budgeting and everything. We just want them to be aware, like, Hey, just so you know, it's going to go up this amount for the retainer next year. And a lot of our retainers start at the end of the the beginning of the year so that they're just aware of how much it's going to cost. And I mean, same thing, like um, we have a client that we've been working with for an, an ongoing project and they're like, okay, we need to know a week in advance. And now the like accounting lady's like, just kidding, because we're doing, they're reworking so much of their budgeting every month. Now they need two weeks in advance to know when this invoice is coming up. So it's just important to talk to who's in charge with accounting to me when it comes to, and mm-hmm. if it's just a one person, then just let them know. Like, hey, up front, like, this is going to be this much now. It's no longer going to be this amount. So when you're making those changes and you are upping your rates, it's important to let clients know, remind them what they have to gain. Um, So if you're charging more, you should be charging more because you're getting better or you've already gotten better. Uh, Maybe you have different things that you're offering. Maybe you're doing things a different way now. So let them know about those changes. When they're receiving their service or their product on their end, they might not 
understand like the difference right you know what i mean so you know if it's not something that's super obvious explain why to them or even if it is something that's obvious but again they might just like overlook it and not realize that that takes a different amount of skill or a different amount of time or a different amount of money um so make sure that you're making clear to them like this is why we have decided to charge more because you know we've grown because we're doing this because we're offering you this now yep. um so you should make it worth their while you can't just be like well, I'm just going to go up all the time and not, <laughs> Next not month, get any better. Next month, going up again $50. Every yeah. month, I'm going up $50. You yeah. definitely have You could not do that. Um, and another thing is just, you know, you always want to just constantly be, I think, reminding your clients of your worth, whether it's money involved or not. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, there is some motivate, like money-motivated decisions going on with uh, your clients. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is inspired by or it's it's decided by who you are and what your brand is. So you want to be constantly letting them know anyways what your worth is. And that's also done by just doing your work well. (laughs) Like doing it on time, showing up, having open communication, um, showing your clients like, you know, um, uh, I always think of the phrases like under promise and over deliver. I always want to say over promise and under deliver, which is like, don't (laughs) Don't do do that. that. (laughs) That is the opposite. Do like, you know, over promise, under promise and over deliver. Yes. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's generally just do your work well. I know there's so many people who, uh, they take on a lot of work because they're trying to make a cost of living, you know what I mean? And by raising your price, that means you don't have to take on as much work so you can actually focus on your clients and deliver good projects. And I think that's why people really need to be aware when they're pricing about the, you know, your cost of living and doing that math. Because I think when you have a nine to five, and especially when you start an entry level position most of the time you're making anywhere depending on where you live nine dollars an hour to like at the most twenty dollars an hour that's like the probably the most you're making for an entry-level job especially in the southeast united states you make twenty dollars an hour then you're probably somebody's manager in florida like that's just the reality of the situation so um when you go to do your freelance work, and you, especially if you're going to make the jump, you need to be aware of how much you need to make to live. So it's no longer that $9, you can't live off $9 an hour realistically, especially your business is paying your bill, like you're paying your lights, your taxes, all this stuff. You need to really incorporate how much all these things cost. And I really, I think there, I mean, there are several, I'm sure, like freelance rate calculators that are out there. And then there's books and resources, and I'll put um, my favorite book for design um, in the show notes. But just be aware that it's you're gonna have to raise your prices at some point. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> um, you should hope to. You, know? you should want to. <laughs> you exactly. should want to. And don't be afraid if you lose certain clients, like from raising your prices. It's fine. You're like, gonna gain that you're gonna gain ideal client. Like, exactly. So you know. Don't be depressed about it. It's totally fine. So if you have any questions about pricing, whether it's listing stuff on your website, proposals, price increase, or if you have any comments that you would like to add please tweet us at HeartHustlePod, or you can always email us if you are shy and you don't want to put it out there on the Twitterverse. You can email us at info at heartandhustle.com. So now we are going to get into listener questions. So we have three this week. So the first one is, how do you know when it is time to invest in your business? Which is great because we're talking about money already. Um, I think it's time to know when to invest in your business when you stop growing. Uh, when you're not seeing any growth and you need to see growth, it's often a good time to invest in your business. Another time is when you are growing at a rate that you can't handle alone. Um, it's a good time to invest in your business, let's say with hiring on help 
or outsourcing different things, investing in that way. So there's, you know, there's different ways to invest in your business. But I think if you're not growing, then you need to invest in certain, I don't know, softwares, classes, different things like that that are going to help you grow as a business. And then if it's, you know, the growth is just too much for you to handle and you're spread too thin, then you need to invest as far as hiring on help. Right. I mean, I, from the, the day you decide to open a business, you have to be investing in your business. You always will be putting in time and money back into your business, even if it's just new software, if it's traveling for conferences or, you know, watching online webinars for people who like to do that thing. Um, you should just always be open to opportunities to invest back in your business because it takes money to make money. I mean, that's realistic. Yes. You're not going to grow, especially if you're self-taught or something on your, I mean, even if you went to school or something and you start doing design or something, you know, things are always changing. Mm-hmm. And so you're always going to need to reinvest in your education as a creative and what's the best, you know, usage for web development. I mean, accessibility rules are changing every day. And people do that, you know, when they are in you know, like regular jobs. Like, you right. know, my husband's a teacher and he has to go to different workshops. I was going to say, and, my friend is you know, going different things all the time to, to co-camp this weekend and she works at Disney, you know what I mean? Exactly. So there's always so it's like, opportunities. You know, it would be the same thing that you were doing if you had a regular job, you'd you'd continue with your education. Um, So it's, you know, you have to do the same thing if you own a business. Can't be stagnant or else you won't grow and then you won't have any money and then you have to shut down. <laughs> That's the reality. True story. Um, so do you think having a niche is important? Um, for me personally, I, we don't really have a niche. We work with certain types of companies, but, uh, as far as business is concerned, we don't just because I, I don't like, I don't need, I don't, I'm not, it's not, it's not important for us and what we do. I know there's people who only want to work with creative entrepreneurs. Those people only work with photographers. I know photographers only work with like pregnant people or newborns or whatever the case may be. Everybody has their own preference. I feel like if you're comfortable and you're really good at doing a certain thing for a certain industry, then yeah, you should have a niche. Like that should be your yeah, I think that it's like yes and no. Like, you know, I think that if you like it's really beneficial say like if you're a photographer because maybe you do weddings and it takes a certain skill set to do weddings or right. you know, if you like when I was a photographer, I never photographed newborns. I'm like I am not trying to get involved in this at all. It's oh a whole <laughs> it's a whole different skill set, you know. Right. Whereas like I really like to to shoot boudoir and I still shoot boudoir sometimes now and like there's a lot of photographers that are like I would never shoot boudoir. Whereas for me like that's my comfort zone um now I don't really I think that like my if I had a niche it would just be that like I work with kind of smaller businesses like I would say like I think that is 10 to 15 employees that is that smaller medium what what it's a small I think small businesses um like based on um amount that you your revenue i think it's under a million or something like it's under 500 it's like either 250 500 okay. a million so they're all so, small businesses yeah so i work with all small businesses <laughs> yeah. um and i you know they're not even all creative and i i personally like to work with different types of yeah. businesses like you know one of my um clients is a gym and i feel like that's not at all a create like there's creativity obviously and everything but it's it's not a creative business but i love working with that business so i don't know like it just for me i like being able to work with different types of businesses because it just it's it keeps things interesting right, i wouldn't want to work with only the same type of business over and over and over again because i just don't really feel like that would be fun um but i guess for me my big thing is like all of my clients have to be like 
over the top passionate people like I like to work with really 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 passionate people so I would say like my niche is working with super passionate people and if they're not going to be like really passionate then they're not really the like right client for me so that's not necessarily a niche but I like that's the only thing that they all have in common um so I really just think it depends on what you do like yeah. if, you know if you're if you're if you're a wedding planner it could be beneficial maybe you only do like destination weddings right so you've gotten really really great at that skill set um but I think that you know it it just really depends on what you feel comfortable with. You definitely don't have to narrow it down to a niche. If you now, if you're a blogger, it's hella benefit, but beneficial. If you yeah. have like if, one, if, it, and if you're making money from areas. your blog, exactly. like then you probably yeah. would have to narrow like it down. That that is a whole different thing. But if you're a business owner and you're not like it's not you're not a blogger for a living. Um, then I think that you're probably fine working with different types of people. Yeah, I think it's just more important to um, have your like your limitations and knowing what you do want to work with and what you don't. More than specifically saying I only work with weddings, saying oh I only work with weddings in the state of Florida. You know what I mean? Like yeah. having limitations in any business is important. We're not gonna do websites for like porn sites. Like it's just never gonna happen. <laughs> That's our limitation. Oh my you know gosh. what I mean? You know what? I just thought of for the first time that like someone does that. Like. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hating, No, there are definitely agencies like, that that's, cater to yeah, porn I just, things like I that. Wow. Or porn stars. I can't imagine if I got, Can you like, be the porn star boutique? Oh, my like, goodness. <laughs> if I got, like, an inquiry from that, that would be We have so in the past. Funny. We just said, no, thank you. Like, we just like, no, that's not really not what we, really, yeah. what we that, do. That wouldn't be, I mean, I would definitely do, like, a nude art one or something, yeah. but not. I saw a business that I like. Um, somebody just started, and they posted in a group that I was in that's decorating caskets, and I'm like, hmm. I would love to work with you. I'm like, Dad, that's fantastic. <laughs> Talk to me about it. It's your it. birthday, and you brought up death like three times. I already. am like Morticia Adams, y'all. <laughs> like I've, I've aged into Morticia. Like I started at Wednesday, and now I'm yeah. like I'm 27, and now I'm suddenly Morticia Adams. Um, well, yeah. I love her because her relationship is goals. Um, <laughs> so our third question is, what is one thing you have to do every single day to feel successful? And I feel like this is kind of hard because, like, I would say there's more things that I have to do every week or, like, multiple times a week to feel yeah. successful. It's hard to think of, like, one thing every day. But if I had to choose the one thing that I have to do every single day to feel successful in my life and my business and just everything is laugh. <laughs> I know it's corny, but it's true. Like, if I'm not laughing and if I'm not enjoying life, I feel like, what is the yeah. point of, like, And isn't it funny that, like, adults don't laugh nearly as much as children do? So I think yeah. that's Yeah, and like, John and I are, like, very playful and very, like, we laugh all the time. And, like, we're just constantly, like, making jokes and making fun of each other. And so we, I mean, we do laugh every single day. Um, and I, I do laugh at work a lot. Like, especially if I'm talking to a client one-on-one. I'm going to make jokes and we're going to laugh. Um, so, I mean, I joked my way all through my speech on Sunday. I was going to say, like, that's there's no such thing as having a talk without my dry, sarcastic humor. Exactly. So, um, which may or may not be funny to you. I don't care. But I have people laugh, so yeah. I'm assuming it's great. I'm, to me, it's like if you're not laughing, you're not living. Like, you got you to gotta, yeah. find happiness and joy in every single day. So, I mean, the second thing I would say would be sleep. <laughs> I know that's like a weird thing, though, because it's like, I don't know how, like, but it does. If I can sleep, I guess, I guess look at it this way. If I feel like I have been able to do, do all my work and do all the things, get them all done that I need to do, and I have enough time to sleep an appropriate amount of time, then I feel like that's success. Yeah. Being able to sleep as, as much as I want slash need. I don't know what that means. 
wake up in the morning because you've succeeded at being alive. Yeah. <laughs> a. Yeah. Um, B. I. I don't really have a thing that I feel like I have to do every day because none of my days are the same. But I'm really like a stickler for at least accomplishing something on my to-do list. So if I can check one thing off, it literally just one thing, then I've I've done a good job. <laughs> like if that one thing was folding all the laundry, then I folded all the laundry today. I've done a good job. So I just think it's important to uh, self-congratulate, like you know, celebrate the little victories. I feel like that's probably like my everyday thing. Like oh, I got up this morning on time and I you know did all these things. If you do more than you expect, then you're like high five, super high five. But I just think it's important to celebrate small victories every single day because if you don't then you just become a miserable human being and it's very true nobody wants to be friends as with you, you head into your late 20s i would like you to revisit your relationship with sleep i don't know what that means sleep is a beautiful friend i don't know who that friend is that friend is not on my friends list i know it's not in my contacts I'm like there's a sleep clinic it doesn't Orlando, pick up and i think you when might i call i feel like go. i would be the best candidate for a sleep study they'd be like what are you doing and i'm like <laughs> i'm just staring at nothing what are you talking about am i supposed to be sleeping right now How your daughter has her sleep she sleep is fine she sleeps okay, 12 well, 13 hours good. a night that's good because let's say both of you don't sleep but i never so. slept like she did like yeah. i never slept ever i'm glad she didn't inherit that from yeah you well david sleep. i mean he sleeps but he sleeps Does different he? hours like he was up all night but he'll post in like 3 a.m yeah. you know like yeah. but he can sleep like he can fall asleep like he has the ability to fall asleep mm. whenever he feels like like i cannot fall asleep in the middle of the day like i can't just be like oh well, i'm gonna I can't take a nap that, but i can and i'm not gonna be like at, at night, night i'm like i can't just fall asleep like i lay down and i'm asleep like that's not but i've never been that way if like you ever. or someone you know is some sort of sleep therapist we would love to have you on <laughs> They'll, they'll be like you are like I can't help you yeah <laughs> like ma'am goodbye <laughs> so we have um guests coming up like every single week for the next month so stay tuned it's gonna be very interesting we're yeah. excited to share these stories of these awesome